Hello everyone, welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders in crypto and DeFi. I'm your host, Crypto Texan, and today on the show we have Brian, XYK, and Saganaki with us from Visor Finance. Thank all of y'all for being here with us today. Of course, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. And uh, so I've interviewed one person, two people, uh, I've never interviewed three people at the same time before, so I'm looking forward to this. And I think a good way to get started would just be for each of you individually to just state your name so we can recognize your voice and just kind of give a brief introduction about what it is that you specifically do at Visor Finance. So I'm uh, XYK, happy to be here. I am I run operations at uh, Advisor and um, you know, make sure that that everything is running with all of our pairs and and the uh, you know making sure that uh, it, when we interface with different clients on Visor Phantom and uh, also handle a little bit of the front end. And uh, I'm Brian or BP. Um, I do uh, community management as well as uh, business development and partnership outreach. Uh, I've been in touch with many members of index group including uh you know jd regarding like index liquidity and and uh matthew graham regarding mbi and various other index products like 2xfly and and uh you know all the 2xfly products and we've also been in touch with people working on various projects within index like the jpeg the jpeg group and and gmi as well so um yeah, that's pretty much uh, what I do at, at Index. Pass it along to Saganaki. Yeah, and I'm Saganaki. I do uh, a little bit more work on the Gamma side with the active management strategies. I do research. I do a lot of the active strategy framework part where we backtest and analyze potential strategies. Um, and I uh, help out with uh, a lot of the financial stuff. All right. Appreciate those backgrounds and introductions, everyone. So I think it, it would also be a good idea, you know, since Visor Finance is very closely tied to Uniswap, before we get into what exactly it is that Visor Finance does, I think it would be a good idea if we could just go through, you know, just for our listeners who may not be familiar, you know, what is Uniswap? What are the differences between Uniswap version two and version three? And then how does Visor tie into Uniswap and what role uh, is it playing in the DeFi ecosystem? I know I know that's a lot, but I just feel like that would be a good uh, base layer of information for everybody. Yeah, totally agreed. So uh, Uniswap uh, obviously is the, is the um, decentralized exchange that's been around for a couple of years. And, um, you know, they first came out with this, with this uh, equation called constant product uh, function and it allowed for uh, the uh, liquidity providers to just provide a, a ratio of assets uh, from the price of zero to the price of infinity. And uh, it was very, very easy and simple. And we saw DeFi Summer take uh, advantage of the LP tokens that are minted once you provide liquidity. And, uh, you know, everybody essentially has the exact same position, just some liquidity providers have more of a position than the others. 
so then um you know that is that that is that was a great invention the uh, adding uh, liquidity providers instead of having an order book structure but what it did was it didn't it didn't allow for the capital efficiency that uh, otherwise uh, can be uh, had with Uniswap v3 or with an order book so Uniswap v3 represents sort of a hybrid between Uniswap v2 and a traditional exchange like Nasdaq um, or a New York Stock Exchange, where you have, uh, or centralized exchanges in crypto, where you have an order book and no liquidity providers, and uh, and 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 how they achieved this hybrid solution was by making concentrated positions available to LPs. And what that means is that you have to select a price range to provide liquidity uh, within. So if it's ETH USDC, you're choosing. Three thousand to five thousand dollars that you're providing liquidity for, and the more concentrated your position around the current price as it's active, the more amount of fees that you get. Um, but it also means that every single LP has a different position, and that's exactly why Uniswap used uh, NFTs to represent the position because each position is unique. So you know that that creates very capital efficient mechanism. But it also makes it so that, you know, if you're going to be an LP providing liquidity within a price range, obviously, if that if that price goes out of your liquidity range, you're now sitting in one asset and you are no longer get, getting fees. So there's this active component that is mandated if you're a, an LP on, on USA V3. And because you have to be active, you know, that costs, it, it costs money to to mint another nft if you want to change your ranges and you also have to it also costs you know it takes a lot of time to to monitor your position so we launched when uniswap v3 launched and the, the sole purpose of the protocol was to you know uh, provide uh, active management uh, so that you know lps don't have to don't have to uh, bear the cost and the time to do this but i know you wanted to stick, stick to um, Uniswap and the you know what it is and and what is V3 versus V2. Yeah, absolutely. And I I can't believe I'm just now realizing this, but your name X Y K that is the formula for Uniswap yes, V2. Right. <laughs> X times Y equals K. I can't believe I'm just now realizing yes, this. Yeah, I think it, also right before we go into Visor, I think it would be also good. Just get, can you put into your own words what impermanent losses and what kind of risk that plays with an automated market maker? And how that, I guess, can be even more of a risk when using uh, Uniswap version three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think uh, uh, Brian is better at answering than this uh, this than I am. Brian, you want to take a stab at this? Oh yeah, sure. Impermanent loss on uh, Uni v three. Uh, so there's uh, you you sort of risk like providing liquidity on Uni v three is almost like leverage liquidity providing in that. The more concentrated your range is, the higher the potential for your impermanent loss. And the reason for that is as the price moves within the, your selected liquidity range, uh, you're pretty much selling off the asset that's performing better for the assets that's performing worse. So the the more narrow the bands are, the more quickly you're, you're selling that off. Whereas if the range was extremely wide, then it would mitigate impermanent loss in that you're more slowly selling the underperforming asset or the outperforming asset for the underperforming one. 
So really the name of the game in, in Unity 3 is to limit impermanent loss as much as possible while also maximizing for fees earned. And that's a delicate balancing act that that Saganaki and, uh, and and those at Gamma Strategies are are developing strategies to to have, like pretty much mitigate impermanent loss while uh, taking advantage of of the, the fee multiplier from having narrow range. And what this um, entails is, you know, during times of high volatility, where there's high potential for the price to move within the bands, uh, will uh, our formulas will expand the bands as wide as possible or, or, or to a sufficient amount. And then as volatility lessens, then the bands will snap back more narrow and take advantage of the higher fee multiplier. So that's sort of the trade-offs and how impermanent loss works on Unity 3. Yeah, thanks for that. And I know you touched on it a little bit, but now let's just dig right into visor finance. Whose idea with this? Like, how how did this idea come about for Visor Finance? Um, and what kind of products are you offering users, uh, market makers, and DAOs? So we started off, um, you know, wanting to create a discretionary asset management uh, stack uh, with Ethereum, and you know that's pretty complicated because the way you get um, yield in DeFi, you know, we see it as as really two categories. Uh, one is through lending protocols, positive sum, you're lending out your assets, you're getting a return on that. Um, and then there's the uh, yield based on hyper issuance of new assets. So some a, a protocol like uh, Urine that has strategies in order to capture returns from farming and, um, and, and other ways, but based upon the hyper issuance of, of a new asset like Curve, for example. So we saw these two categories and said, why? You know, most of traditional finance is 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 based upon discretionary asset management. Is it possible to create a layered system and you know set between um, you know the NFTs that we use as vaults and traditional uh, vault and DeFi? You know, where you're minting LP shares, and how can we set up um, then a layer that allows for a manager that is applying discretionary strategies? Uh, with an element of price prediction and and an element of you know there being possible loss with impermanent loss, um, but but you know more of a structure that allows for the ma- the management of assets and and choosing where they go and and things like that. And so that was started in January of this year, and you know in at the end of February was when Uniswap uh, an- announced uh, Uniswap v3 and and the design schematics, and so. That was when the two, um, you know, the two ideas merged because being a manager on Uniswap V3 is is discretionary, and so we used our stack that we had already created um, and deployed and just pointed it entirely towards Uniswap V3 because Uniswap V3 mandates that there's a manager. Okay, and so what type of strategies does Visor Finance employ in these? vaults i I think are are they called nft smart vaults i think i saw that right so uh, i can just walk you through the the structure or uniswap came came about was um at the base layer you have an nft an nft vault uh, or a smart vault and we see you know a couple of protocols using this in addition to us but it was a it's a very interesting use for an nft because usually it's 
for unique um, properties of, uh, and applied towards art. But this vault can actually hold ERC-20s inside of the NFT and it can hold other NFTs. And um, and you may be asking, you know, what, why would you want to store or why would you want to deposit ERC-20s into the vault? It's because you can then permission those assets to be used by another party once they're in your vault or you can simply keep the ERC-20 tokens in your vault. Let's say that you have um, LP tokens that you're providing liquidity for. You have these LP tokens, you put them in your vault. You can then subscribe to a liquidity mining contract or, or a reward contract that lets you have full custody of your LP tokens. Um, and the rewards are simply pointed towards your vault. So the reward contract reads that you have uh, these LP tokens inside of your NFT vault, and then it can pay to your vault uh, because you know that that is the asset that it's recognizing. Um, and so it allows for, for total custody of your assets when applied that way. And, um, and, and so the base layer is this, is this NFT vault. Then you have what we call the hypervisor, which is a position manager contract that you permission your assets to be used within. And each pair uh, or each position in a pair you know, with a selected feed tier is its own hypervisor. So it's a hypervisor smart contract that is the position manager uh, contract. And that can be used uh, for, for other things, you know, so, so it doesn't have to be used just for Uniswap V3, but this is the first use case. So then you have, you know, you have this contract that basically routes your assets to and from your, your vault and, and goes to the protocol. So from your vault to Uniswap V3. Then you have, uh, then we have another layer, which is the last layer, and that's uh, called the supervisor. And that is the uh, admin contract that allows for a, a, a manager to um, have restrictions on what they can do, but still have enough permissions to allow them to, to properly manage uh, the hypervisor, which is, you know, the position. So that was the stack that we had created before V3 came around. And then we saw, okay, there needs to be a manager here. So how can we apply this around Uniswap V3? And, uh, and and now it's a specific so it's an NFT vault that that um, that anybody can mint, and then the hypervisor is uh, for each position, and then the supervisor is where, uh, you know at this moment it's just Gamma, but it it is the research and development entity that that we have created in order to um, specifically be focused on managing these positions, and um, you know in the future there'll be other managers that can come along and prove uh you know their historical performance and be a supervisor and and users can select that so that's that's the stack and the reason for it okay and i just want to make sure i'm understanding this this sounds fascinating by the way and i love i just love so much like the true financial use of non-fungible tokens right and this is just a prime example of this and i think chidao over on Polygon, they they have something similar to this, where you where you mint an NFT. But let's say that I have a Uniswap V3 position, and I'll, we'll use DPI and ETH LP pair um, okay. as an example. So I, I come to the platform or, or the app, and I mint the Vault NFT. And is it empty at this time? And then do I have to put the assets in there? And at which time do I delegate the management of those assets to a hypervisor. 
So you'll be minting the NFT. The NFT will be empty at that moment. Then you're going to select a position that you want to add your assets to. And when you do that, you are um, depositing assets. And, and, and so the hypervisor maintains uh, or, or deposits those into the position. And then those LP tokens will be stored in your vault, in your NFT vault, opposed to, you know, uh, not, your, not your wallet. Uh, which is which is typical. And um, when and so when they're in your vault, um, you know that that shows those are re receipt tokens uh, showing uh, that you have the underlying assets deposited in the position. But then the reason why we we put them into the vault is because then it will allow you to subscribe those tokens to a liquidity mining contract, and that way you'll have custody of those. So. The entire vision of the vault is not uh, totally built out. Now we have a, a lot of um, projects that we're working with that that want to do um, liquidity. They want to reward uh, for providing liquidity for their positions. This is how they would do that. Um, so it allows for gasless sub subscription to a reward contract. There's many uses for this. I think of Gearbox right now, which is undergoing their their launch at the moment. You know, they're they're using a similar structure here. Uh, but it's with loans, um, but you still, you know, have an NFT and you have custody of those assets. So, so right now, yeah, it's a container. It allows you to subscribe, um, but there's a whole lot more that you can do with that, uh, which which we hope to see built out, you know, as as more protocols understand the NFTs can be used for a uh, non a, a full custodial uh, vault. And uh, some meme that I've been seeing go around. A little bit is we should all be striving for a TVL of zero, which means the protocol doesn't ever own those assets. You know, you as the um, DeFi participant do, and this can be achieved by using an NFT vault. And you know, it can also be used, and I think that this will happen more on L2, where you can even deploy a contract, but do it through the protocol, but you still have ownership of that contract. So. Yeah, I mean that that's you know a lot more to be seen with the NFT vaults, but they are very a very uh, interesting layer of our protocol. Yeah, and another thing that just pops out at me as a question I feel like I need to ask is, you know, gas fees on especially like layer one Ethereum, because you know as it goes, the more complicated the contract, uh, and NFTs are are pretty gas intensive too. H how do gas fees play into that? And, and does having the LP position within the nft does that mitigate some of those gas costs the subscription absolutely does you know to mint an nft it is it is more expensive than just making a deposit into a traditional vault um, but you will have that you have that nft uh, you don't have to mint another one and 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 with that comes the ability to subscribe and subscribe meaning there's no transfer of tokens. There's no when you're subscribing to a reward contract because those LP tokens are in your vault. There's no um, there's no transfer. So in the long run, it will be saving you uh, gas fees. But of course, to mint an NFT, it does cost a little bit of upfront cost. Okay, and I think you may have touched on this a little bit earlier. But what strategies does Visor Finance employ? Like, how does Visor? And I think you said that uh, you use gamma strategies uh to use this but what what determines when there is a need for a rebalance or or an adjustment of those bands that have been deployed 
So there's two types of strategies that that we're focused on, and really they're end participants. The first one, which is you know who we anticipated using the protocol at the very beginning, are the the retail uh, LPs or DeFi regular DeFi participants that want their main objective is to uh, attain yield or returns on um, positions that are managed by Visor. So in in that type of environment, you know you you are concerned about. Um, the strategy is, is is focused on making sure that liquidity is in range, but as concentrated as possible to extract the most amount of fees. Because you know, the more you concentrate, the more uh, efficient your your capital is, and the more fees you are uh, getting relative to any other LP in the in the uh, pair. So, and we've seen that you know the we expected the 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 APY or APR to go down soon after a v3 launch but we have seen uh, and you know i think it makes sense because you know the, the fees have stayed relatively stable very uh and 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 high and i think that's because you know the all the volume on uniswap has been routed to v3 and uh but the lps you know it, it's it's complicated to be an lp so you see that that volume increases tvl doesn't you know, it is not as much as on V2. And so you have a, a, a ratio of volume to TVL. You also have the the fee tiers that have changed. And so, you you know, you, you can have uh, 1% fee tiers. So um, so so the goal there with, with the first set um, of participants is, is, is obviously fee capture. Now, that's entirely different with projects. You know, and we, we work with, I think it's 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 ten plus right now that we manage active liquidity for on behalf of the projects, and there's a close collaboration with how that position is managed. But the goal there is not fee capture; it is to lower slippage on on both buys and sells, and always stay within range so that there's liquidity around the current price of the token. Wow, I can see how that would just be a huge benefit, um, and I think that's why we're index is getting involved there um but we can touch on that in a, in a little bit too first i want to touch on uh gamma strategies and what is that relationship between visor and gamma strategies is there overlap in i guess contributors and how did a relationship come about so the reason why uh and this we didn't you know it didn't start at the beginning it was it was a about uh, two months after when we realized that you know these strategies are are complex there's a, a heavy data science component to this um, there's a price predictive element to that those are the 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 ones contributing to um, strategy uh, w- which is really traditional finance strategy creation are not solidity developers um, you know they're not they're they're a special type of, uh, of developers and data science engineers. And so uh, we chose to set up a, a grant system of $500,000 from Pfizer to Gamma. And so far, um, you know, Gamma has has uh, issued many of these grants, some to groups at universities, um, some to people that are in traditional finance right now, and uh, others to, to, to groups that have built. Uh, our, our latest one was one to a group that built a a very robust uh, Uniswap v3 simulator that we can use because you know using Uniswap on testnet is is difficult. They've built the entire thing in TypeScript, um, and it, it accounts for all the different variables within a lot that would otherwise be shown in a live environment 
for us to quickly test strategies. So, you know, apart from giving those grants out and um, and being and being able to work with other other participants and members that are non really they're not really um, DeFi focused, but they have a background in traditional finance or data science. Other than that, you know, there's there is a lot of research that goes on in finding high return pairs and uh, you know building out Dune dashboards for Arbitrum Optimism and, and Mainnet. Um, you know, looking at the past seven days and past two days of fee returns, and then choosing to manage a pair uh, based upon those returns. Um, so that you know, that's pair selection is is a big part of what Gamma does. Then once the pair has been selected, then it has to be identified. You know, is this is this a, a correlated asset pair that that you know the strategy is is very different because there isn't going to be uh, this this real impermanent loss risk or price divergent risk. You know, I'm talking about REN BTC to WBTC or stable to stablecoin. Um, or you know a a a non-correlated pair, which is USDC and ETH, and and you know you have to have different strategies for each uh, category of of pairs, and 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 so within you know within the uncorrelated asset pair like USDC and ETH, two strategies have emerged. Uh, you know the the first one Gamma identified, which was a Bollinger Band strategy, which it it simply means there's a moving average that you're setting an interval for. So you're looking at the past seven days or the past seven minutes, but you're looking for an average between all of the uh, intervals within a select time period. And then you're applying a standard deviation, which is setting how wide the range is. And so you're trying to anticipate the next interval and what the volatility is going to be within that next interval. And, you know, um, providing liquidity within a, a range is does not exist in traditional finance because you're uh, you're 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 providing liquidity in an order book system. But the Bollinger Band is to it was was designed in traditional finance to measure the next interval of volatility, and so it's trying to capture what is going to be the highest price and the lowest price within this next time period. And so that was the you know that was the first strategy that was. That was, you know, not only discovered and 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 uh, and prepared, but you know, deployed by Gamma uh, using Visa the protocol. And then our next focus, uh, or Gamma's next focus, was to was to mitigate permanent loss. And uh, you know, that we've we they're called Gamma 1.0 and Gamma 2.0 strategies. Um, and and so Gamma. 1.0 was the uh, Bollinger Band strategy. Gamma 2.0 really comes into effect when we uh, when we want to entirely eliminate impermanent loss. So you know, uh, anticipating that there's going to be a, a high period, a period of high volatility, and and not really knowing, you know, is it going to go up or down, but knowing there's going to be volatility, and and wanting to not participate in that volatile period because you you may um, you may go out of range. You may uh, suffer in permanent loss, and that's important. And permanent loss um, is it has to be measured between a, a, a start date and an end date, so a deposit and a withdraw. But you never know if you're managing a position where anybody can withdraw. You may know that um, you know it's going to go. It's going the the composition of assets in the position is going to be ninety ten for two hours, but 
somebody could be withdrawing at that time period, you don't want them to suffer in permanent loss. So you would rather just not have exposure to the volatility in the upcoming time period. And the way that is solved, which is a very creative way that the people at Gamma and, and Saganaki specifically was able to identify and, and deploy is by taking uh, one of the bands and basically exploding it, you know, making it so that it goes uh, almost to infinity or almost to zero so that you're still, you, you haven't withdrawn the liquidity, but your, the composition of assets in the position are not going to change as long as that, as long as that band is far removed. So you're no longer providing concentrated liquidity. And so you don't have that exposure. Wow, that's fascinating. So I guess my next question is, what types of pairs are available? And I, I'm guessing they would just be the, the types of, I mean, is it permissionless or is it just the types of pairs that Gamma Strategies is comfortable managing? Because I can imagine that there would be pairs out there that like I personally wouldn't want to touch. And I would assume that Visor Finance and Gamma Strategies also wouldn't. Uh, I'm thinking just like from a like a low liquidity uh, asset or, or low volume asset? Is there anything that you prefer not to touch or how does all that? Work? Yeah. So Uniswap and their docs call, call these um, pairs exotic pairs. And what they mean by that, I mean, I think what they mean by that is it is, is low volume, low TVL pairs. And so we don't, we don't like to touch um, exotic pairs. You know, we want a lot of volume. We also want in relation to the volume, um, a, a a certain amount of TVL that makes it so that there's that that volume returns a high amount of fees, and you know that was another reason why Gamma created the Dune dashboards. That any you know these are public. You can see the APYs, and and usually the one like if you look at the the past two days on mainnet, you're going to find pairs that return uh, more than a thousand percent APY. And that's not even um, taking into consideration a concentrated position. That's just looking at all fees returned uh, in the pair uh, relative to the TVL that's in the pair. So, you know, we'll, Gamma will look at that and, and select. But um, uh, we also, for, for uh, economic uh, arbitrage and exploit reasons, don't want to have more than 20% of an entire pair's TVL. And so that sort of limits us because, you know, we're seeking TVL, obviously, uh, for our own protocol, but we want to limit the amount that we take to 20% in, in the pair. And so we'll apply caps to that. Um, so it really leaves us with the top pairs by volume and, you know, with the, with the TVL considerations as well. So really a blue chip ones. And, you know, we manage 40 pairs right now. And I think on mainnet, you know, those will be, we won't be adding too many too many more other than other than a, a whole new category which is the stable to stable you know that makes sense to have on mainnet but we are you know we've deployed our contracts in arbitrum and optimism and uh and going through an audit with quant stamp so we we want to be able to manage uh, many uh, more pairs on l2 uh, and so those you know some of those constraints won't apply on l2 uh that where they do apply on on mainnet and you know we're, we're working with quantstamp to figure out a a, a position a safety framework so that we can have virtually uncapped 
um, and be able to manage more than 20% of the pairs. But yeah, it's, it's uh, on, you know, on L2, I think there'll be a lot more trading. There'll be a lot more volume because you won't have the gas cost con considerations. So you'll have more volume and, um, and so therefore more fees because the fee tiers stay fixed uh, regardless, you know, of, of the network. So yeah, right now, I, I think maybe, maybe 50 to 100 will manage on mainnet. And then, um, and those will all be uh, blue chip, stable to stable, highly correlated. And then on on uh, L2, when we go after we go through our audits, it'll be more of a permissionless environment. And and hoping to see others uh, deploy hypervisors that can then be subscribed to to our strategies. And you know that way we can go the direction of the person who's deploying assets can have an, can have custody the entire time and not have to deploy them into our positions, but can rather just subscribe to a strategy. As the strategies develop and can be um, selected and identified and, and run in a, in a safe environment like um, Open Zeppelin Defender, who, who we've engaged, you know, we want to focus more on the strategy component so that and allow anybody to deploy a hypervisor, a position manager contract for any pair, any, um, any fee tier. But that's that's uh, more about the roadmap. No, yeah, that was great information. And I, I'm wondering uh, if y'all could just shed some color on this. How does index fit into this? Because I, you mentioned, you know, we don't have the most liquidity or the most volume for our index token, but I know we are partnering with Visor for a strategy for our index token. And is that just to maintain liquidity and reduce slippage through all price points or how is this partnership uh developing between uh our dow and and visor finance right so so the way that we see it is you know there's a lot of liquidity that is either owned or owned by the community across multiple different decentralized exchanges and and so you know number one we want to consolidate or, or projects want to consolidate that uh, in they would rather have that have that liquidity in a v3 pair because you're increasing your capital efficiency 10 to 40 times so now you have such such lower slippage be, with the same amount of capital so you can see why that would be you know attractive to 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 have your position on Uniswap v3 and then further if if any any person who's trying to buy or sell the token is using an aggregator like matcha or 1 inch that will automatically route to that V3 position anyway. So it, as soon as you reach this critical point where where all trades are being routed through the V3 position, then the liquidity in other places is almost useless because there's no uh, trades being run through that. And so you know it's 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 a it's a sequence of events we view this and have seen it where a position is opened on V3, you know, and a, and a project gets involved and first moves there. Uh, protocol own liquidity there, and then others will naturally uh, add their liquidity. And and you know, it, in terms of the sequence of events, that can either be uh, through our position because we can list that you know publicly on our front end and allow for anybody to deposit their assets into the position. So now you're growing that. You know, the fees will then only be generated on V3 in this position. So um, even anybody just joining. Or moving their liquidity from V2 to V3 are going to participate in these uh, in this fee capture, and then you know the 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 next sequence is being able to apply liquidity mining rewards for joining our position, 
And, you know, that goes back to the um, subscribing and using the NFT vault. And um, and that's sort of the last last step. But it is it is all to achieve the goal of capital efficiency on protocol owned liquidity. Yeah, just very specific to the index liquidity that, uh, you know, proposal just got passed. And I think sometime next week we'll we'll get the liquidity um, index liquidity deployed to Uniswap. But something particular about the index pool is that, you know, there's a lot of trading data available, like UniB3 trading data. And there's already about close to a million of TBL in the pool. And, and the, the protocol is going to add another 1.4 million to the pool. So there's going to be, you know, well over 2 million of liquidity in there. And with, when you have a little bit more liquidity, we can run and more trading data. Typically, we want 90 days of trading data. We can run the more advanced strategies that um, Saganaki and, and the people at Gamma have created is, uh, you know, the strategy that we were talking about earlier where, you know, you're really expanding the bands as wide as possible and during periods of high volatility. And those strategies, you know, based on our backtesting results, you know, had the best results, um, the best yields after impermanent loss. Um, and, but this can only be done when there's a sufficient amount of liquidity within the pool, because when you are expanding the bands, you are technically increasing slippage, but you're also decreasing impermanent loss. But if you do have a sufficient amount of liquidity in there to begin with, then that is what makes this strategy pretty optimal. And um, yeah, I just want to throw that out there. Um, because the most projects were just maybe migrating liquidity from Sushi onto Unity 3 or or just starting a pool um, where there isn't that historical trading data and they're not supplying enough liquidity on there. We typically run different types of strategies to handle that. They're more heuristic in nature where we'll do a price stand of, let's say, plus or minus 50% around the current price stick. And as the price moves up or down uh, 10 or 15%, it'll rebalance around the current price. Um, so just wanted to add that in there about uh, the index would be. Yeah, thanks for adding that. And this this is so great because I remember when Uni V3 first came out and, you know, I got up there and I was ready to put my position in and I just thought, this is hard. I mean, to, to put it bluntly. And I was like, man, I would totally pay somebody to do this for me. And then I just thought, you know, that'll happen, right? Someone's going to come along and figure that out. And then uh, here you are. Y'all are doing it. it, it but do y'all run into any competition? Like, who else is doing something similar to this? And I feel like y'all are the most successful at it. So, I guess, yeah, those are my next two questions is, who are your competitors? And why do you feel like y'all have been so much more successful than those competitors? Well, I mean, we we started day one. So, that that gave us a a, a big head start. We also were, I, I, you know, this is my view, but I think we're more thoughtful about the design of the of of the uh, position manager contract. So when when um, someone that comes along and says, "Oh, I want to be a manager," you know, there's one option, which is using uh, the the Uniswap LP uh, NFT. And so, in order to be a manager, you have to come up with your own contract that interfaces with Uniswap V3 core contract. And is a replacement of that NFT. And you know the, the NFT, the way that you're providing assets, is very limited. And so we constructed a design that allows for first, you know, it it allows for two positions to be deployed at once. You have the limit position, you have the base position. This is done so that we can 
seamlessly change ranges without having to withdraw all of the liquidity and then um, and, and then you know redeploy it into another range. It can sort of be it can be done by having you know the two simultaneous uh, positions. And this also allows us to change the composition of assets when we rebalance without having to do a swap. And you know a lot of people think, okay, well, if you're doing a swap, then all that's going to cost is gas cost. And, and, and you can be very specific about the ratio of assets if you're swapping from one to another in order to rebalance. But what people don't understand is that when you're, when you're swapping on Uniswap, you're paying those fees. So if you're using, if, you're, if you have deposits of other people's assets and your sole goal is to return, a fee on, uh, return fees on um, those underlying assets, if you're swapping, you're paying the same thing that you're getting, right? So if you're swapping um, $100,000, you're paying $1,000 if it's in a 1% fee tier. So, but if you use limit orders, like, you know, like, we've, like we do in our contracts to rebalance, you have zero slippage and, you have, uh, and you're not paying any, any, um, any fees at all. So, and, and, and most of these um, other position managers swap on rebalance and that that to me is just the biggest the biggest differentiator because you're eliminating so much of what you could be making on on you know on behalf of your lps just just by doing this uh, rebalance without being thoughtful about it you know then the second part is the is the supervisor component so being able to uh, have an external contract that can call all types of different functions uh, with the position in order to um, apply any strategy. And, you know, that's a big reason why we created Gamma and, and Gamma created the active uh, position strategy framework where you can see all these variables and you can uh, construct a strategy and simulate a strategy that can be applied to the contract itself. So, you know, back when I was discussing, you know, who are the who are the types that are uh, working at Gamma and, and, and working on these strategies, it's non-solidity engineers that don't want to or, or can't develop a contract to then uh, develop a strategy that interfaces with the contract. So instead, we have a we have a, an endpoint that allows a data scientist to come up with a strategy, deploy that without having to understand solidity. And so, you know, the design of the of the contract that allows for that strategy component that doesn't have the strategy on chain like others do allows for number one, you're not going to get you're not going to get front run from your strategy because it's not built in uh, to the position itself. And number two, you can attract talent that understands how to make a strategy and then deploy that strategy. Um, and then I, I guess the third differentiator would be, you know, the fact that we focus on 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 retail LPs first, and then once we got that down, we were able to focus on uh, a different category and help, which are the projects that we help actively manage liquidity, uh, you know, on their behalf, and uh, and and that's what we call Visor Phantom. And so, you know, we haven't seen that with with others. You know, we've we've captured that and um, and built out great working relationships with a lot of partners in order to do that. So, yeah, just those are those are a few differences. Okay, I'm glad you touched on Visor Phantom too, because I was going to ask about that. Another question I have is I, I saw today on Twitter that Uniswap uh, at the front end now routes to. The most price efficient with the less slippage 
through V3 or V2, does that affect y'all uh, in a negative or, or a positive way? Or is it just not a big deal, just more efficient, I guess? So uh, there's there have been two updates to what they call what Uniswap calls the auto router. And the first one came out probably uh, eight to 10 weeks ago. And that that is what you're describing, which is the auto router. The first thing when Uniswap V3 came out was was to route the front end to V3 if there's less slippage. Then there was the secondary update to the auto router that was more of an auto router than just uh, uh, configuring the front end. And that was uh, always going through the path that, that uh, has the least slippage. And that was great for us because that is the uh, goal of the position and and you know because we're we have highly concentrated positions they're usually uh, our positions are are usually the ones that um that the auto router runs through and it, it also makes it so that when we are um put it when we are when we're creating a position or or maintaining a position on Uniswap v3 we are also competing with with that v2 position so if if someone's using you know one inch or matcha to make trades and we're better than and, and a v3 position is better than uh sushi meaning less slippage then of course it's going to be routed to us but then if anybody's using um uh uniswap or using their auto router in their api it will also route to us so we view that as as i mean that that was great for us um and then today uniswap came out with a update to their auto router which is more about um, providing liquidity and makes it so that the ratio of assets that normally would have to have been acquired independently and and previously to um, adding liquidity once you select your range meaning you have to have both eth and and index token and you have to have the exact amounts and you have to select a price range. Now you just have to select a price range and select one asset. So there's an atomic swap that goes on that allows for you to provide liquidity with one asset, provided that you're also paying for the swap. Now, that is also great for us because for the first six months, we always allowed for single-sided asset deposit. And that was because when, when you're depositing a single asset into our, into our position, Reason why we don't do a swap and we don't and we don't have to uh, we don't mandate a secondary asset be paired with that is because it goes straight into the limit position, which means, you know, we're deploying a limit position with the single sided asset one tick above the price so that when the price drifts into that tick, it now uh, is is uh, comprised of two assets and that uh, and when that hits the ratio of the base position that limit order those assets in that limit order then get deposited into the base position so that was a complex way of allowing for single-sided assets now because of the security framework that we're working on that you know it's it sort of suggests that there's some risk there allowing for single-sided asset deposit and and there being you know flash loan price manipulation when using that we have now constructed you know, a, a deposit that enforces the ratio of the position. So now that Uniswap announced today, and I think it's deployed, this new auto router atomic swap function now allows us to continue on with the single-sided asset deposits 
without having that uh, economic exploit possibility. Wow. And I feel like my mind is just now opening up to like all the different composability options of Uniswap and y'all are just taking advantage of these. And I think this is huge. I mean, I, I've got so many more questions. I wish we had more time, but we've got about eight minutes left. Let me think, which one do I want to ask? Make sure we get in. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking of another way that index could utilize this platform, like in a sense where, you know, we've got an index where there's an asset that we would like to include in that index because it has a high market cap, but maybe it's not Ethereum native, but there are some tokens. It's just got low liquidity on Ethereum. Is is there a way that we could kind of use that, you know, maintaining liquidity within a certain price range to help with rebalancing and reducing slippage? Is, Is that a strategy that could be implemented possibly? So there, I mean, we, we've thought about this a lot in the terms in, in we've had some of the fractionalized NFT projects, you know, come to us that where you can deposit NFT, you can get minted fractional tokens in return. And, and, and of course, you know, that is um, meant to be paired with the floor price of the NFT. And um, so there's a desire to create liquidity and also to map price. Uh, of the floor or of an external oracle. And so the way that, you know, right now we do not add a trading component or 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 volume component, meaning we're just deploying liquidity and making sure that that stays around a certain price and 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 you know all the different functions that we do uh with position management except for the swapping function external to the position, right? So we're not making any trades in order to influence the price that we have a position around. Now, what we have done is is paired up with with market makers, and uh, and and that's a service that they provide, and and just working out the collaboration with them. So you know, I think that these things will come together where there there's definitely a needed mechanism in order to make sure that the price oracle is is live a live price oracle that is um you know uh mapped uh for on uniswap v3 for for things that for pairs that have extremely low tvl and i think that's possible but i think that that sort of requires constant buys and sells you know constant and that and that's what market makers do where they'll look at the you know, the look at the, the spread between two exchanges and reduce the arbitrage possibility. So that could naturally happen, but with low TVL, um, you know, high, high, and, and because of that, high slippage and especially uh, high volatility with price floors, um, or even, you know, an index, an index also, especially if it's, if it's with other assets that have low liquidity and high volatility, then there needs to be, you know, the, this this reduction of of arbitrage and a and a trading component. So we are thinking about that and and how to add that. Um, but for the meantime, you know, we're working with with other market makers. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense too. So when I think about Visor's L two strategy, I think you said that you're on Arbitrum and Optimism, and so it's we deployed there, yes, and but, we, but not open to the public. Oh, okay. Okay. And I'm assuming that's because Uniswap V3 is also on those two uh, roll-ups. There was a proposal that went through 
uh, saying that Uniswap V3 is likely going to be deployed on Polygon soon. Do you all see yourselves making the bridge over there and, and deploying there as well? Exactly. We follow uh, Uniswap and that's because, you know, they're the, they're the, of course, we're loyal to them because, you know, they're, they were the inventors of this uh, concentrated liquidity and, um, and, and, and they're the only ones uh, right now that exist. And, and so we do follow them uh, where, where they go. And so we have been in uh, discussions with Polygon for a while and uh, we're prepared for, for, for launching on uh, Polygon when, uh, when Uniswap deploys there. Yeah, we're big Polygon fans over here too at the Index Co-op. Got a lot of our assets deployed over there now. Um, one last question or two more quick ones. Uh, are, do do y'all look at any other AMMs like Sushi or Balancer, or does that not really fit y'all's model? Yeah, so we've also discussed uh, with with Sushi about Trident, and th those contracts are going to be very similar to uh, Uniswap V3 contracts, and so we made a determination that our contracts will be compatible with Sushi's uh, version of concentrated liquidity, and then you know beyond that, we're building, we're working with uh, Olympus. Pro in order to allow uh, other projects to use V3 positions in a bond, uh, Visor V3 positions, and you know our next one will be uh, with Float, and uh, and and that'll be an Olympus bond that takes uh, Visor LP tokens, and that'll be next week when that goes live, and then and so we view Olympus as you know a, a sort of a liquidity venue, and uh, also working with Tokimac. And seeing them as a liquidity venue, where they the 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 liquidity that's going to be deposited um, through Tokimac and and through the liquidity directors, uh, you know they have to choose an end uh, an end liquidity venue. So if you know the liquidity directors are choosing Uniswap V3, well, you're going to need a manager for that. So you know that's how we're thinking about about interfacing with them and building adapters. Um, and then there's another another protocol that has a, a V2 or a yeah V2 style you know non-concentrated liquidity AMM that is working on a concentrated AMM version that is very novel and it, and it's not using you know any of the it's not using NFTs it's not using um, concentrated positions as they were invented by Uniswap but instead using something different. Uh, which is very exciting, and uh, and we'll be uh, managers on that concentrated AMM as well. I feel like you're being very careful not to say the name of that yeah. AMM. Yeah, I, sorry, I am. I am. That's okay. That's okay. Well, it looks like we're up on time here, y'all. This has been fascinating. The, uh, great information. Really excited about the partnership between Visor and Index. So, last thing to send everybody off. Can you just tell everyone where to find out more about the three of you and Visor? Sure. So we we uh, we're mainly on Discord. You know, our Telegram is announcement channel, but we're on Discord. You you can see our logos here. You know, we're this is these are the team or the not logos, but um, profile profile orbs. You know, find us find us on Discord on our in our channel. Uh, Visor.finance is the website, and um, you know you can you can visit our web app through there. But that has also all the links, relevant links. Um, but yeah, stop by our Discord. Happy to chat anytime. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks to everyone who's listening live. Thanks to the core contributors of Visor Finance for being here. This is being recorded, and we will get this out in about a week. 
I appreciate it. You all have a great weekend, and we'll see you next time. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Bye. Thanks, guys.